Steven. Radio. Assad, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Alex. How are you doing? I to, good, oh my god! So in my head what's right up? now, I just I what's just up? had to like do the checks. I'm like, I was like, yeah, what's up? And I had to say your name, and I'm like, is his name Alex, Steven, or LeBron? I can't <laughs> yo, remember. I, I, yo, as long as you don't call me Will Lou, man, that's actually the only one that bothers me. But you're one of the few people that wouldn't get as confused. Oh no, not at all. Alex has a pretty small head. And also, like, Will and I are, like, really different people. Do you feel like we're different people? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, like Will is, like, like very much a red, while Alex is, like, a very light blue on the color yeah. scale. Like, if you want yeah, to talk I'm, about I'm, just, like, their their personalities. Yeah, I already have no idea what you're talking about. All right, so, um, Asad, what have you been up to? So, we're, we're today going to talk about... Uh, my accounting career, hopefully give one definitive walkthrough of this. So I never have to talk about it again. Uh, you're still, you know, you have been a chartered accountant, a CPA for, for how many years now have you been working? Uh, I've been working what now? Five, five and a half years, I think of work experience with everything in. Um, and I've been a CPA for the last two ish. I think, yeah. yeah July. What's, the, what's the CPA life like right now, especially in a pandemic? Oh, it's fantastic. Like today's actually my first day of vacation. So obviously, you know, I, I decided to sleep in and, you know, when you sleep in on your first day of vacation, as always, as a CPA, you can expect to wake up to 13 emails from four different clients asking, yo, what's going on? Uh, so I spent the first hour of vacation answering emails today, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, this is, I, this is the life of the CPA, man. I, I, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to explain to people just how 24 seven this like career is. Cause you're just constantly on the clock. Like, here's the thing, like just this podcast, we were supposed to start recording this at one, it's like 2 PM and it's a hundred percent because outside of work, I have no bearing of what day or time it is. Like if I turn off my work schedule, I have no idea what day or time it is. Like work completely dominates my life. So if I don't have an Outlook notification telling me what my next meeting is, like you're just perpetually a day and a half behind on everything. Have you ever felt like burnt out? Oh, consistently. That's just a continual feeling. That is like that stasis is burnt out. And are you like doing things to deal with that? Or are you just like, I'm just going to work 70 hours a week? Uh, oh, I just take like a five minute Twitter break every 15 minutes. <laughs> that's, that's when you go. That's when you go on Twitter during the day and just troll people. Yeah, every fifteen minutes you got to take a five minute Twitter break, and that that keeps your brain working. Listen, we need to apply some pressure to like Yahoo Sports, calling them out right now. Just kidding, Dan Toman. Um, but like, they should hire you just to be like a regular slander correspondent or something, something that you can look forward to after you review all those audit files. Raptor games are probably the one reprieve that I have, and the I get, I probably shouldn't be giving the game away, but if anything, that's more therapy for me. It's free therapy. It's going on just slandering uh, NBA players. Uh, but yeah, hundred percent. Dan Toman hit me up. My rates uh, below uh, my current bill out rate is one hundred and fifty five dollars an hour. Um, 
<laughs> this man is talking billout rates, man. This is this is the most unaccessible podcast that I've ever done. Um, uh, but this is this is for the CPA heads, man. This is for the real ones. Um, what else, man? What what else have you been up to during the pandemic? Are you still hooping? What's going on with your basketball game? Yo, so I was talking about talking to Will about this the other day, actually. So like, it took me a minute to actually play any basketball. Like, I like like usually I play ball like two times a week. And during the pandemic, it's just like where I can't go to play ball anymore. Like usually it's like, you know, there's um, like three community centers around me that I go to. But pandemic hits, everything's canceled. The league is canceled. I'm like, crap, like forget the NBA, bro. I was like, yo, is my Milton Ball League done? Am I getting a refund? Like what's going on? Are we going to finish playoffs? Like my team was in first place. Uh, But unfortunately, I don't have the same pull LeBron does. So uh, couldn't do a bubble there. But like it took me about a month to uh, like really start feeling it i bought a basketball net it took me like a month to get a ball net because like that's just like a sneaker drop like you cannot find a basketball net in stock anywhere like at all so i found one at like 3 a.m at like home depot so that was fun Uh, so i've been playing a little bit but it was i think the most depressing moment in the pandemic for me was like it was like the middle of like may or like late april and i realized i'm like shit i'm not gonna run a pick and roll until like 2021 like it's gonna be a year (laughs) that must have been like a the longest time or one of the longest stretches you've gone without playing ball right oh 100 i like i started playing ball when i was like six or seven years old so since then like i don't think i've ever gone this long without playing basketball like it was crazy like the last time I had like I, I had a five, four week stretch on vacation where the only ball I could play was like at like a Chuck E. Cheese like um, arcade machine. Like I, I was literally in like Houston, Texas, and we drove to a movie theater not to watch a movie, just to go to like you know the arcade area at the front of the movie theater. I'm like, I gotta get some shots up. <laughs> Goodness, that's a uh, that's desperate. But for people that don't know, Assad, you're like a baller, man. Yeah, man, I'm. Incredibly overweight, completely out of shape, but you know, my jump shot works. So like I might get picked last, but I could hit you from 40. So it's a nice thing to know. Yo, the out of shape thing, again, uh side effect of being a CPA, man, is is all I'm saying. Um, so let's get into uh this most interesting topic of my accounting career. Uh where where should we start, man? Sh- should we start with me at uh UT Scarborough getting my BBA? Oh, yeah, man. Hit me up by UT Scarborough. When did you get to UT Scarborough? Because the only thing I remember about UT Scarborough is I went there for a ball tournament, and I was just amazed that they had a hero burger in the food court. (laughs) And I was like, yo, this is lit. What is this place? This is way better than UTM, man. (laughs) Yo, I was was applying. I don't know about you. Like, I definitely was trying to go to Waterloo. Oh, yeah. Or uh, Wilfrid Laurier and... I don't know. I had all the grades. I mean, my, my grades were really good, but I just couldn't get in. I think, you know, remember like back in the day, like they make such a big deal out of like your resume and like, oh, yeah. uh, you know, like extracurricular activities and stuff. Like I remember, I think I made up a math club, like it was just <laughs> me and my boy, like just to put it on the resume. Like, I don't know if you ever pulled any scams like that, but I didn't do any extracurricular activities. I don't know what it was like. Maybe it was just super competitive, but I couldn't get into those schools. Did you did you get to the, the essay? portion of the waterloo thing or did they not call you in for that either no like i didn't get so anything i got to that so I, I like i applied to waterloo um because like the one thing you know in accounting it's like oh if you want a career in accounting you got to go to a good school with a co-op program because <laughs> all accounting yeah, is about no, is no, like no, you gotta get your co-op. job placement like like three months into your degree 
but yeah, so I played the Waterloo. Um, I got the I got the thing to come in and write their entrance um, essay or whatever. And bro, I flubbed this shit. Like, honestly, it's good that I didn't get in because like like I went to Laurier, which is across the street. So I had a bunch of buddies in that program. I would talk to yo Waterloo. Like, great school. I'm sure great things about it. Hella depressing, bro. Like this campus is just like dreary. All my buddies were miserable the whole time while I just like chilled through a BBA program that was like, you know, <laughs> that counted. But I so I'm writing this AFMA, like the the entry exam for it. And they were talking about like social media and power or something, right? And they're like talking about it's like, oh, the protests in Egypt were started from like social media. So do you think social media is good or bad or something like that, right? And this is this is how this is how cocky I was going into this shit, where I was like, yo, I got this. And I'm like, with great power comes great responsibility. Ben Parker. <laughs> no, you didn't. You really did that? No, I wrote that on the on the essay. And I'm like, yo, I got the shit in the bag. Like oh, two weeks later, they're like, yeah, you uh, <laughs> no, no thanks. No, still a fire bar to drop though. Um oh, so you went to Wilfrid Laurier. I've always been curious because Waterloo and Laurier are right next to each other, right? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, basically, Lori. Uh, the joke is that Lori is like the high school down the road. Uh, yeah, but so so like if you go to Waterloo, like even though it is like really boring or whatever, like do you just get to hang out with Lori people, or do, does that not work like? That? Nah, man. There is a so they're on the same street, but there is a Burger King that divides um, the two universities. So as soon as you cross that Burger King, the demographic completely changes around you. <laughs> what, how would you describe the d- difference in the demographic between the two schools? Oh, God. Uh, so have you ever been to Whitby? I don't think I've ever been to Whitby. Do you have an idea of what Whitby might be in your head? Uh, I'm just picturing like a lot of white people. Yeah, so that's Laurier. And then, uh, uh, you know, when you uh, you know, when you cross over and you get to Scarborough? Yeah, that's that, uh, that's uh, Waterloo. That's Waterloo. Yeah. Right. So that's a, So I came from a school that had a Waterloo demographic, like a high school and like. 30% of my high school ended up going to Waterloo because I was a gifted kid or whatever it was. So all these nerds went to Waterloo with with me. Uh, they're all going to that school. So I was on both campuses all the time. But there's a Burger King, which was like like basically the dividing line. So that Burger King was where you had the most demographic mix. Otherwise, it was just like basically from this line left or right. Like you could see a complete change of day of who was around you. So you got the same degree as me, the BBA with the yeah. co-op? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we did the exact same thing. Um, I don't remember much about school. Um, I mean, the only good thing, I mean, I lived at home because, you know, I, I would just drive to Scarborough every day. Um, I really miss university, though, because I don't know about you. Like, I just didn't go to a lot of lectures. Like, it was just a lot of oh. self-studying is what I remember. 100% the same. Uh I think uh, for ours, we had like this uh, talking about like made up uh, like like people who work a little bit too hard for extracurriculars and stuff like that. We had one group. I forgot what it was. Honestly, it was a good group. They did some charity stuff, but they would basically like create the slide deck for the entire course, like the week before the exam. So you'd have to pay like five bucks and you could just get this thing. So I never went to a lecture in my life, more or less. Like I think I maybe attended 10 percent of classes. All I did in university was play basketball. Uh, watch sitcoms like I, I had 15 running sitcoms that I was watching on a weekly basis um, at one what's, point what's the most embarrassing sitcom that you are uh, gonna admit that you watched oh yo so this is actually before I went to university was freaking outsourced I, 
outsource got canceled and i got my waterloo reje- uh rejection on the same day it was the worst day of my life i i remember it being so like pent up i was so sad i went to like the quarter store near my house and there was a stop sign that was there and it was like a symbolic moment where i just like kicked the stop sign and it just knocked over and i was like shit i just kicked over a stop sign <laughs> Oh, Outsource is a show about the uh, Indian call centers, right? Yeah. It lasted oh, one man. season. I think it was like half a season. I was so pissed. I was like, oh, my God. Man. Yeah, no, university life was great, man. Uh, I honestly look back and, and I miss that because, you know, you would just build your schedule. Like, I would build my schedule where I was only going to school at night. Um, and obviously, like, you know, my sleeping schedule was just all out of whack. Like, I'd be sleeping at, like, 4 in the morning. <laughs> waking up at two um and like you remember like the classes like sometimes they would like give you like 10 percent of the overall grade was like participation in class and i mean i would just punt all of those oh yeah just like forget it man i'm just gonna go for the other 90. bro so the only so like like the business programs in general are ridiculously easy anybody telling you like their business program or their business degree was hard like you, you should you should you should be a little sus about that because i'll be honest not, none of this shit is that hard like you you know a little bit of math you're good to go uh but like, universities uh just education in canada in general i think is really easy if we're oh, being yeah. honest yeah because they, they kind of like hold your hand through the whole thing um that's not entirely true it depends on the program like your stem is like stem at waterloo is still ridiculous like my buddies who were doing engineering, like I would just be in their apartment, just being like, "Bro, what's wrong?" And they're just like, "You gotta leave me alone." <laughs> like I'm about to die. <laughs> I'm 20 hours behind. I'm like, the week just started. He's like, "I know." <laughs> if you want an easy degree, I feel like the BBA is the way to go. To be honest. oh, 100, bro. Like I, I swear to God, I like basically like I was averaging like a straight up 90 for my first two years doing nothing and i'm not like it wasn't even about like me trying to flex or anything like literally like that's how easy it was and then the only reason my average drop was because in third year after they made every course 15 percent participation so my grade just dropped <laughs> by 10 percent per course <laughs> yeah the problem too because like of the co-op placements uh so for people that don't know like co-ops basically you go on three work terms uh, four month work terms, you know, you interview for jobs. And this is where people are trying to land their jobs that they can transition uh, full time into. Um, and to be honest, I mean, man, I'm 35. And this was like 15 years ago. Now, I forgot my first co op placement, I want to say I worked at like, Toyota, I think, in, in some kind of like finance role. Um, but like, at the time, everybody is trying to get into a big four firm. And, you know, I ended up getting a, a co-op placement on my third co-op with Ernst & Young. And that's how I got into it full time. Once I locked down that co-op placement and I knew that they were going to hire me full time, my grades just like stumbled. <laughs> like I almost failed like a couple of finance courses because like once you know you got the job, you don't really care about your GPA because I think at the time they just put some kind of cap on it. Like as long as you finish with like a 3.3 GPA. Uh, you can have your job. Like I almost failed my introduction to tax course. I remember I was getting like a 49 going into the final exam. <laughs> and I was like crazy stressed out. So like, yeah, this just goes back to the fact that, um, yeah, edu- education in general is a joke. Yeah. My man's just like, which 50% is deductible for meals and entertainment? <laughs> I don't know. Yo, <laughs> yo, I hated the tax courses too, man. I think we had to take maybe two or three of them. Like, honestly, I found them to be just impossible. Like, just studying tax rules. Yo, the tax is, like, 
because tax is just law, honestly, like tax is straight up just law. Like it's just regulation. So it's really a law course that they're teaching you that you need to know as an accountant. Uh, and it is like, it is like disgustingly brutal. Like, I'll be honest, like, like I, I still have like that tax act and all it oh does is hold, it just holds, up, it just act, holds up a monitor. Shit. Like this thing is literally just like, like, it's just a freaking volume of like, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a brick of paper, basically. Yo, it's legit the Bible, like the size of the Bible, but it's just tax rules. And like, you have to tab every page and like highlight all these different rules. And it's not even that large. It's made of like the like <laughs> cheapest, most recyclable paper that they can. It's like half a millimeter thick paper. Like this stuff is like crinkling in your hand as you pull. It's like basically they made a book out of saran wrap. <laughs> Yo, that tax book is definitely not tax deductible is all I'm saying, man. That that material is a pure write-off. Um, no, I hated taxes. And the one thing I hate too is like everyone who realizes that you work in accounting or you're a CPA thinks that you can do their taxes for them. Um, this is like just the most general thing that everybody always said to me when I told them I worked in accounting. And it's like, no, I don't know how to do taxes. I barely know how to do my own taxes. I had a buddy who graduated with me and he worked big four like for three years. And I remember talking to him one day. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have to file my tax return. Can you help me? I'm like, buddy, we graduated together. What do you mean file your tax return? You're the accountant. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, I just, I just want to uh, kind of demystify that uh, for all my CPAs out there. Um, yeah. So university was cool. Um, you know, almost failed a couple courses and, you know, made it through. And then, you know, after I graduated, Started full time at Ernst and Young, and the funny thing is, so they had this like initiation retreat. Um, you know, they took us, I don't know, somewhere up north at this like golf course resort thing for a week, where you know we got, we learned about the company, all of that stuff, all of that typical HR stuff, and obviously there was a lot of partying going on too, and I actually broke my ankle there. Um, I broke my ankle um, uh, while I was there, so I broke my ankle on company time. So I got to miss wow. uh, the first four months of my full-time career coming out of university. So you missed busy uh, season? <laughs> no, so it was, I, missed, I missed September to like January. Oh, so okay. I came back just for busy season. But that was like a really weird start for me because I broke my ankle. I had to have surgery. Like I didn't even like leave my house. Like I barely, like I was still living with my parents at the time. Like I barely came downstairs uh, from the house, which I was thinking about the other day. Which is why, like, all this quarantining during the pandemic has not been bad for me because, like, I have two, both legs right now. Um, but, like, like yeah, like, so that was my start to my career. Like, I missed the first four months. And I remember, like, they assigned, they would assign, like, a partner to you as your mentor. And, and like, my partner just, like, absolutely hated me because he was like, oh, man, this kid, like, broke his ankle and it's not even working. And then I come back in January and like, I'm just thrown into these clients. And I remember the first like six months of my career there starting as just a staff accountant. Like I was just like, I was, I, I don't think I was depressed, but I was like really down because this was not the career that I wanted driving home at like 10 in the evening, every night. Uh, like I just had no life and it was just a huge adjustment for me. How was that for you? Oh man, the first the first co-op term that I worked, so I never worked big four because like, like we we aren't even gonna get into it, but there's the whole big four circuit that you have to do, like just to get recruited. 
doing all those recruiting events. I don't know if you ever did those recruiting events, but those got to be like the creepiest things that I've ever been a part of. Where you're oh, yeah. just the, the recruiting events are terrible. Yeah, speak on the recruiting events, man. It's People just know. it's just you and like 500 other kids all looking to get the same job, and you're just going from table to table picking up different companies USB like 500 megabyte USB stick. Being like, yes, I do want to work here. Yeah, tell me what's so great about being like an accountant. Which, hey, there are there are good things to be an accountant. Like a hundred percent, there are good things. But like, it's just asking people. It's like, yes, how did how I just want to like be part of there for four months and you know really learn how to audit cash. I think cash is the most important thing. Just make it up bullshit. Trying to talk to like recruiters, it is brutal for me. Like it was completely impossible because like you're in these giant ballrooms and it's loud as hell. And like I'm a I'm already like a foot taller than everybody. I can't even hear what people are saying. Like I'm I'm I have to I had to constantly keep leading in, like lowering my head just to be able to like put my ear in the area where they were talking, just so I could hear what was going on. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm never gonna get this. And basically, you're just hoping to just hand out business cards and pray to God that they remember your business card by the end of the day. Just like completely like probably the most disgusting thing a part of you just want to go home and take a shower afterward and then like you get you get the job interview but it's like no it's not a job interview first you got to do the pre-interview and then you got to do the pre-interview part two um and then they take you out to lunch and then you get the interview which is just like man this is a lot for one job like for one staff accountant job that you're gonna hire for four months it's a lot uh, no and it's like just listening to it i mean the whole process is just exhausting and like to be honest all the 500 people that are in that room they pretty much are all the same like, you know, some of them are going to end up being terrible staff accountants and, and some are going to be really good, but there's no way you can tell. The whole process is basically just like, yo, I got to be stuck with like this like idiot co-op for four months. Let me just make sure that he's not an idiot. Like, I just, <laughs> let's just get some cool people. But it very much is cultural gatekeeping. Um, and it, it honestly does feel a lot of the times like I felt especially just as like an immigrant, like from an immigrant background, it felt like I had to do a lot of catch up. Like, cause like business, like, like business personality and like business, like society is just so it has its own monoculture and it is really difficult to learn that if you come from like an outside background. No, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. I mean, that's one of the things that really drained me was, you know, I felt like you had to like assimilate and become a different person, especially at work. And, you know, it's all like the little things too, Um, you know, all the networking, um, that was the least favorite part of it for me. And also, like, you basically just speak a different language when you're at work and you become this different person uh, to fit in. And then add on to that, like, suddenly you're just working like 70 hours a day. And as you know, like when you're starting as a staff accountant, like you're not doing anything interesting. Like a lot of times, like I remember I was just sitting there waiting for my manager to tell me that we could go home. And sometimes my manager wasn't doing anything, but like we just had to be there to clock the hours and to show face to the client. So like we're not leaving till like 10 at night and like the clients are in Mississauga and I'm driving like 45 minutes back home to like Unionville. Um, I don't know, man. That first year, it was just like really miserable for me, but I did meet a lot of cool people at work um, and they were all brown and Asian people. Yeah, that um, I didn't have I didn't get to have that experience because I was at these small firms and whatnot. But the one thing is like you have like there are a lot of like and like you can call the like a lot of it might have to do with like model minority. I don't want to get into what the like in terms of what the hiring practices end up being. But um, 
you do have a lot of like, especially downtown Toronto, all these big four firms, you have a lot of people um, that are brown or Asian that are working here. Uh, and the the thing that always gets me, though, is every time you talk to another accountant, it's always just the, the main conversation topic is just complaining about the job. That's it. It's just complaining about how like just brutal the the, the, the day-to-day job is. And I, like it got to be like, like recently I, I, uh, I was in an interview for something um, and I was talking to a partner. I was just like, and like one of the general questions I like to ask in an interview when I talk to a partner is like, Hey, um, like you've made it, like if you become a partner at a firm, you've dedicated your life to this thing. Like you're doing this public accounting thing for like 30, 40 years. Right. So my big thing is like, what keeps you going day to day? Like what is like the one, what is the one thing in your day that makes like, fulfills you the most like what gives you the most fulfillment and the partner just straight up told me is like pay my mortgage and i'm like (laughs) there you go that's legitimate i'm like i'll take it (laughs) no but that sums it all up like if you asked me to to guess like i would have just said money because like money is really the only driver i feel like if you're in this business like you cannot sit here with a straight face and, and tell me that you're passionate about auditing like when you explain to people what auditing is and the stuff that you do like it's actually even more boring than actually doing it yo there is i'll, I'll send you this video there is this um vocational and uh, vocational training video from like the 1930s and i just remember us seeing this video and being like it just drained the entire room because we're like holy crap this job has really not changed in 80 years <laughs> like it has changed like there's a lot of like technological advances but like the core of the job like i'm watching this vocational video and i'm like i'm just gonna start sending this to my friends to explain my job because it's like 10 minutes long and it just explains exactly what the job is just like oh the auditor checks the number to match it with those <laughs> with the source documentation i'm like wow this is brutal <laughs> It was so draining. People don't understand too, like when you do external audits and you're at the clients, like most of the time the clients just hate you um, because you are in the way of their day-to-day job. And also like you're trying to find out things that they're doing wrong. And it's a tough position, right? Because so just to understand what not is, right? So like a company will have a year end. So every year they have to issue a set of financial statements. So say their year ends in December. So they issued these financial statements. The auditor then comes in a month or two after December. So now it's like February and the auditing groups there. And you're now going through their statements from last December um, to basically say, okay, within, within a range of like, basically that the statements are more or less correct or whatever, like they're within a certain range of being correct, all the numbers on the statements. So you're just kind of just checking to make sure that the statements are legit. Like you think about your day-to-day job, you're worried about today and what's moving forward, right? So now you're asking for documents on documents on documents. Like, oh, can you give me the receipt for this thing that you bought like a year ago? And you're, and like the accounting team that's there is just like, man, like I have like so many things to do today and this is all stuff in the past. Like it does not like really, really matter to my day-to-day job. Like we just have to kind of get this done. It's completely compliance. So not only are you trying to do work for a client but a lot of times you'll find pushback like you're working for them but they don't want you doing anything (laughs) because they're like leave me alone (laughs) yeah no i remember how bad it was like when you would do like testing uh, on certain accounts and you'd have to pick like 25 invoices and you're asking them to pull uh, all of the paperwork for you and especially when you're starting to um, I find if you have a really contentious client, like it becomes like really intimidating 
because to be honest, like when, when I was starting, I mean, half the time, you know, you know what the procedures are, but sometimes you'll be asking questions that are just like really dumb um, to the client. And, you know, once they like don't asking, respect you, like, like asking a client, like, Hey, um, do you have any, um, uh, asset retirement obligations? And they're like, bro, I have a printer. Like, that's all I got. I got a computer and a printer. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're going through the checklist and trying to map it to what the client is doing, but like, it just doesn't sync up or like, you, you know, your, your senior accountant or your manager will ask you to go talk to a client about something and you have absolutely no idea what you're supposed to ask them. Um, so the conversation just goes nowhere. That's kind of like what I remember. And, you know, I worked at Ernst & Young. Um, I'm, I'm really bad with like specific years and things like that. I want to say I was there for maybe three years, uh, three and a half years. And, you know, I was senior staff accountant. I was basically manager on um, a few of the audits. I just didn't have the title yet. And I was up for the promotion and I just decided to leave and decided to take a job at Sears uh, as an internal auditor. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Now, I don't know much about internal audit. I actually messaged Alex earlier a couple of weeks ago, asked him what internal audit was because I know I'd seen one of your business cards. And I was like, oh, <laughs> let, let me ask Alex what internal audit's all about, right? Uh, so honestly, I still don't totally get it. Uh, so tell me what the hell. Internal audit is. <laughs> Yo, this this is the type of podcast people come here for. Um, internal audit, I guess, put simply, is like we work with the company. So you know, I worked at Sears, and I am auditing the processes that are happening at Sears. So certain departments. Uh, I remember when I was there, I took a lot of trips to the warehouses because they really scrutinize the inventory processes, and certain departments uh, will reach out to the internal audit department and ask them to look at specific processes or, you know, uh, corporate people like the CEO, CFO will have certain initiatives that they want the internal audit team to execute. So compared to like working at Ernst & Young or like working at an external audit firm, I think the pressure level is a lot lower because, I mean, your job is not really real because you're just auditing your own company. Like there's not really stakes uh, outside of improving processes, but you run into the same problem because you'll audit them and you'll make recommendations on how to improve processes. But then it goes through like all this corporate red tape, obviously, of, of signing off on like implementing a new system for this department. And all the departments that you audit mostly like don't like you because once again, you're trying to find out things that they're not doing well. And they don't want to hear those things. Man. And like, also, I guess it's like a lot, like a lot of the, like the feeling that I always get is like when it comes to like internal audit or like uh, an audit committee that's inside of a company, a lot of the times like companies just have them because they're required to have them. So you're not really empowered to actually make any change. Did you find that you were, were you empowered to actually like do things or did you find like, you basically couldn't I, do shit. I definitely felt like I was just going through the process. Jesus. Like we were just going through the process just to say that we would sign off on like we completed, you know, this number of audits uh, during this quarter. Like nothing that I did just felt important to me. And I, I just didn't feel like I was going to make making a change. And I feel like the group of people that I worked with or, you know, just kind of the demographic there was a lot different because the, at least the one good thing when you come out of university and you work at an accounting firm, like you're coming up with the same people, like they're exactly yeah. your age. They have exactly your experience. Uh, you're all going through it. 
Uh, whereas here, is a, it was a different mix. It was a lot of people who were working at accounting firms who like transitioned. And I don't know, maybe this is me because I do have a track record of just like not getting along with people that I work with. <laughs> um, and the track record is long enough now that I think I can say it's me. But I know like, yo, you guys should have heard like the <laughs> shit that Alex was talking about Will Lou before this podcast hit record. Like he would, it was just a tirade. Like, like yo, literally please, please, 45 please don't Yo, please don't break uh, Will and I up, man. I'm trying to piggyback his career for another 15 years uh, until he gets canceled by Chris Boucher. Um, but yeah, I, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I just didn't respect uh, the people that I worked with. And I just didn't get along with the people there. I think I just, I think at that point in my career, I just had such a disrespect for the industry and the job that we did as a whole that I just couldn't respect anyone doing it. And like, instead of like hating myself, I like hated everyone around me. So I was only at that job for six months. And mind you, that office was at the Eden Center. Like we were in this office, basically like in the basement level of the Eden Center. There was no windows. Like the only time I got to go out and see sunlight was when I walked out to the food court at lunch. It was just like directly out of a Dilbert cartoon. (laughs) Yo, it was pure Dilbert. And like I would go in every day and I still remember like the computer that I would turn on at my desk, like just waiting for that to load. Like that was just such a day to day, like depressing scene for me. And I left that job after six months. Like I really regretted taking that job. Like I don't think I regretted leaving Ernst & Young because I feel like that was really the first step to me, like at least trying to move away from this whole industry as a whole. But going to Sears was like a huge mistake for me. Yeah. And I, I guess part of it too is like, like people like generally it's like accounting is accounting, right? But there is just this giant difference in what public accounting is versus what private like corporate accounting is. Like you go from like public accounting is like a 24 seven job where you have like no set hours because you're just working all hours of the day. And like, you're just required to be like on at all times. Cause basically like, so like normal people, like you normal, like jobs are nine to five, right? Like show up at nine, you clock in, and then you just leave at five, right? Like you don't have to tear, like log everything you do in the day or whatever. In public accounting, the way that it works is um, there's no nine to five. It's just like you have to do however many hours. Say it's 50 hours this week, right? Like minimum is 50 hours this week or like it's base hours. So you got to do 40 hours a week. It's not like 40 hours of you being at the office. It's 40 hours of you actually doing work because you have to log all like the time that you worked on every client and put it into the system. So like you could be at work from like nine to like nine in the morning to nine at night, which is 12 hours, but you took an hour lunch break, which doesn't count. Um, You talked to somebody for 30 minutes that wasn't on a client that doesn't count for anything. Like you took a bathroom break that doesn't count for anything. You can't put that time anywhere. So like you might be working 10 hours to only put in eight hours into the system, right? Which is completely different from when you go to a corporate job. No, that is a huge difference. And and obviously, like when you are, you know, billing hours to the clients, like that's how you have to track all that stuff. Like you mentioned, I remember like we would have budgets too for all our audits in terms of hours, but like you're not reporting that to an external client. So like it's not really real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you do have a budget, like you're supposed to only spend like maybe like 120 hours in total on this inventory process that you're trying to audit but you're being held accountable internally so then you get like the one trap that i find a lot of young accountants get into especially like a lot of my staff and i kind of calm them down a bit on it because i it became a big issue for me where it's like 
I constantly began making excuses for why something was taking me so long. Like where, like, I'm like, I'd be driving to work and I'd hit a red light. And in my head, I'm already calculating. I was like, oh, two minutes lost at a red light, like 10 minutes lost because of traffic. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, like, it's Yo, not that's, even not, that's not healthy. That's not and healthy like, at this all. Is like, and it's just, and it's like, that's how you have to, like your brain gets trained to work. Like you're seeing every, you're seeing every hour as a chunk of like a decimal of 10, like every six minutes is 0.1 and it becomes brutal. Like you're just like, it is, it's becomes draining mentally. So like you're doing seven and a half hours of work, but you're constantly tracking your time. So it's just like, you're adding so much extra pressure to it. So like a lot of the people I talk to that switch to pub, uh, private, like they go into corporate, their biggest thing is like, yo, I don't have to do time entry anymore. So I don't really give a damn. Like, I'm just happy. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to track my time. Now everybody around you isn't, they aren't like, you're no longer in the rat. Like you don't feel like you're in the rat race anymore. Like you're not, you're not as ambitious. Like you're just kind of working to get the day done and that's it. Like no, and, and that's a, that's a huge problem because I'm sitting there at Sears and I'm seeing like there's other internal auditors who are like much older than me in their 40s, in their 50s. And, you know, every day I'm thinking, man, like, I guess this is just what I'm going to be in 20 years. Like, like you're staring at your future all the time. And I think that's the one thing too. like everybody that goes into public accounting, like they eventually do um, a lot of people. Some people obviously stay at the firms, you know, go on the partner track. But a lot of people do want to make that move eventually to something else. And I feel like that first move is always, um, it's very hit or miss. Like you just can't, you don't know until you go and experience something else if that is something for you. And the only thing that I told myself, you know, when I took the job at Sears was like, I got a pretty good pay raise. And again, it just goes back to money. But then it's like you tie your job. If you tie your job to just how much money you're making, it's great. Like, I feel like we're all making pretty good money coming out of school uh, comparable to maybe like other careers that people are doing. But it's just such a drain on your life. And like, you just become a, a really unhappy person. And that's what I became. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I can't even tell you how many stories I've heard of people who are just like, that are like now they're five, six years in a career and they're taking like sabbaticals because they're like, I need time off from this job to just like have a life for a second. Or just have a complete mental break. Because it's like, and like, it's similar to like investment bankers feel the same. Like I know like my buddies who became investment bankers, they feel it at an even higher scale. Because they're just like, they go three years hard and do a lot of things to make that happen. And completely burn out. And it's like, yeah, you made a ton of money. And like you did things that people might think are fun. But like you, since you're on the clock all the time, like you're just like completely shredded. Like you're completely drained as a person and you haven't lived a life at all. And it's just, yeah, and, I, and I think like four or five years in is when people start really yeah. thinking about that stuff. Because I mean, I remember when, you know, I got the job at Ernst and Young, I was definitely one of those guys because you hear so much talk in the accounting industry about the big four. Like I just felt like I'd made it and I felt like I was better than, you know, a lot of other people. And, you know, I was living off that probably like the first year or two that I was at the job. But then like once you start thinking about your future and stuff and you start realizing, I think the tough part is like a lot of people just realize that it's not for them. And it just becomes a really difficult process to get out because like, what do you do? Like, you know, like I'm like, we'll talk about later on. Like I eventually did switch my career. But at the time when you're like 23, 24, 
like, what do you do? Like you've gone to school, you've done all of these accounting exams. Like there's just a lot of pressure, like, especially from my parents too. like the parents was the toughest thing. Like telling my parents I was leaving this career was like one of the hardest things for me. And um, like, there's just a lot of factors that really keeps you at this job and it just grinds away at you. And, and like, just in terms of like general personality types, like the one, the one thing like just in accounting is the majority of accountants are by nature risk averse, right? So the fact like when I heard that like you used to be an accountant and you left that career behind and did this, I was mind blown. Cause like if you talk to other accountants, the majority of accountants very generally incredibly risk averse. I couldn't even imagine doing that. I'll be honest. Like I like I always think of Alex and I'm like, wow, like I can't believe that you actually did that. <laughs> and you know, thankfully it's worked out for you and hopefully you continue to succeed. But it's like terrifying to think of. And the thing that the like just switching from here's the thing we're talking about how difficult it is to switch from public accounting to private accounting so people listen to this part are like you're just switching from one accounting to another accounting and you're having trouble making this decision like the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you guys but it's terrifying like i've thought about it and i'm like man like you leave public accounting you can't go back to it like it, it really does feel like you get like completely cut off when you do do the switch as well because you yeah, no, from, like like you give up you, you give up you give up the career path that, you know, is set up for you at the accounting firm. And, you know, you're a manager now and, you know, you've had some years of experience and, you know, back then, and I feel like it's probably the same way now, everybody just told you, like, you got to make manager first, like make manager and then you can come out. And, you know, if you're looking for jobs, then you're going to get to the managerial level. And, you know, I was a little bit, I think, reckless in that, in that I just didn't care because I was just like, I'm just going to find a job that's going to pay me more. And then I'm going to, you know, eventually find a way to switch out of this career. And, you know, you mentioned like hearing about me, like switching to a writing career. You know, I will always say like, it's hard. It's such an individual case by case thing too, because like my ex-wife was like very supportive of it. Like we met when we were, you know, in accounting together at Ernst & Young and like just having kind of a person to, to support me uh, financially at the time. And obviously like I had saved up a lot of money and that's the one benefit too of working in the accounting industry. Like if you treat your money properly, like you can definitely, um, you know, have a bit of a buffer for if you want to try other things. But yeah, no, one last thing on Sears too, man. Like I remember one of the, like after I quit or put in my two weeks notice, my team like ambushed me in this meeting. They like brought me into a meeting with like a client and nobody told me and like together they like pulled this thing on me where they made me present in front of the client about our the, our audit plan or not the client like it's like one of the departments there because it was internal audit and they just like threw me under the bus and that was like my second last day there well that sears doesn't exist anymore right so you're good <laughs> oh, well, yeah. you know, well, shout out to sears for the pool table in my basement right now because so basically <laughs> yo i ordered this thing in like in october right? like i woke up one day i was like Yo, I, and Sears was having a sale. So I was like, yo, I really want a pool table. I wasn't even thinking. I was like, this thing's like, it's like a thousand dollar table. It was like 40% off. And I'm just like, I impulse bought it in bed. So I was like, yo, this is awesome. Cause now I don't have to go to like the sports bar me and my buddies do to go play pool. Didn't measure anything about basement. I have no idea what goes into building a pool table. I buy this thing. I'm like, crap. Now I got to figure this out. It's been a month. Yo, well, it hasn't been delivered. When- it's been when two Sears months. Went... <laughs> been delivered. Yo, Sears sends out an email at Christmas, and they're like, "Yo, we messed up our order. Our, our inventory system messed up, so we haven't shipped out all these orders. So they're not going to get to you by Christmas. So you can do two. You have two options. Either you can cancel your order and take a hundred dollar gift card from us, 
or we can ship your order when we ship it and just give you another 50% off. <laughs> I'm like, I have like a $600 order though. I'm like, yo, please. So I got this table for like 30% the original price. I got it like the following March and then they went out of business. <laughs> I would like to think I played a part in messing up their inventory processes. <laughs> you know, when they were going under, I was like, man, um, I'm going to have to take some credit for this uh, for my six months that I was there. But Sears is still like operating in other countries. I was traveling in Mexico last year and I saw a Sears and it gave me like PTSD. Yeah, I think they still exist in the U.S. too. They just died in Canada like really, really quickly. And, you know, yeah. I guess messing up your, your inventory system, messing up over Christmas is probably one way to get there. But yeah so i left sears after six months and i think at that time like i started to really think seriously about wanting to switch a career and was thinking about getting into writing but i think i was in that period where i just you know i just wasn't ready or didn't feel like i could do it so i did this like halfway thing where i started working these contract jobs um, and I would take like three, four month contracts, you know, with headhunters helping me find these roles where I would just come into companies and be a financial analyst for like four months. Like if someone went on mat leave or um, I, I did a few internal audit projects uh, for a few companies. And those those were good, man, because like I would build them hourly and I would work four days a week. They would have me in Monday to Thursday. I would get Friday off. And but, you know, at the end of the day, again, it was just super boring. But at, at that time, I just felt like I was getting a bit of my freedom back, even though I really wasn't doing anything with the right. That that sounds awesome. And honestly, that's how I kind of felt during this pandemic, being able to work from home is that you get a bit like when, once you start controlling your hours and you aren't being watched anymore and you're kind of just working on your own completely, uh, you get a bit of freedom back and it kind of just brings life back into your like day to day. Like You have more energy to do stuff. Because you're kind of, you have a little bit more control, which I feel is like something you just don't get working in the industry full time. Yeah, but but also at that time, I felt like I was just still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. So then I got this whole inkling of, okay, I'm going to go find a job in an industry that's like interesting and cool. Yeah. And maybe that'll change it for me. And that's when I started applying for jobs and, and I got a senior financial analyst job at entertainment one and they're like a television and movie distribution company and i remember interviewing with the coo he was asian um like he was a hard ass um but he meant well and he like i would report directly to him and he was always traveling uh for work so there was a lot of freedom in that job except like i felt like my job was just basically just like creating these monthly sheets for him it wasn't any challenging work and then sometimes he would like send me to work with other departments if they wanted to come up with like budget plans or do financial analysis. So the people you, at the office were really cool. Yeah. What were you going to say? So you fell in that trap where you're like, Oh, if I just work for a company that does something that I like that, that'll be cool to me. And forgetting the part that no matter what company you work for, you're still doing accounting work. <laughs> no, exactly. And like, I, I kind of want to point out these pitfalls because you know, I, I kind of want hope that, you know, people that might be on that same career path, in accounting can like avoid them because I feel like I went through every one of them, like going yeah. to work in internal audit, um, you know, going to work at E1 and thinking that that was really going to change the outlook that I had. Um, the people at work were really cool, uh, but I only really ever got to talk to them when they were like company socials because I sat at this part of the office where all the corporate guys were and nobody wanted to walk through there, uh, you know, to see the COO or the CFO. 
And yeah, you know, at that time, that's when I joined Twitter. Um, that's when I started, you know, trying to write, like I started a blog, I started pitching stories and stuff. Uh, that's when I wanted to really make the jump, but it didn't really happen until I think it was about a year and a half into my job there where the company merged with Alliance Atlantis and they were bringing a lot of their staff over. And my role was basically being eliminated. Mm. And that's when the HR person called me in one day and just told me that, you know, I was being laid off because the role would no longer exist. And I mean, I've told this story, I think every time I've talked about my transition is I remember telling him because my, my, my wife at the time and I were talking about getting married and, and maybe moving to New York. And I told him my plan. I was like, all right, I think this is actually really good for me because now you've made the decision for me. And I think it's really time for me to just try to get into writing. I told him I'm going to move to New York and become a writer. And he was like, yo, you should call the suicide hotline. <laughs> he was like really worried for me. <laughs> no, but like, if you think about it, though, it sounds like a delusional man who just lost his job is like, is not doing well. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Like, there's no way he could have believed any of that stuff that I was saying. And I remember him being like, you know, uh, I think it would be good. It's it's up to you, but you can stay two more weeks if you want to transition your stuff to someone else at the company. And I was like, if I don't, do I still get paid that? Like, does my severance and all of that change? He's like, no. So I just packed up and left that day, I think. I stayed for like one extra day. And I remember they were really mad at me. But for me, that was like a symbolic like just cutting off the ties with the company. Cause I'm like, whatever, I don't care about burning this bridge because I don't plan on coming back to this industry. Yeah. And that's a, a tough thing. Like I've had buddies who've left and one of their biggest concerns before leaving was like, man, I want to take this job. But like, I, for you, it was different cause you were working here. But like a lot of people, it's like, I want to leave, but like I care so much about the people I work for, even if I don't like the work. Or they'd be like, oh, I just need to finish this next project so I can leave on good terms. And there's always going to be that next project. I remember one of my buddies, he was leaving. And I was like, man, honestly, if you don't, like, if this isn't what you want to do, you found something else that you want to do, just cut it dry. Like, the easiest way to kind of do it is if once you have your plan set in mode, like, like kind of thought out because you should think it out. But, like, I, I told him, I'm like, man, just make the decision in your head personally to yourself. Like, I'm either leaving or staying and see how you feel and like make the decision like i'm leaving and just keep it to yourself don't actually act on it but just keep it to yourself and just see how it feels for a day or two like of you living with that and then try to flip it the other way and if you feel uneasy or if you feel good with it that kind of will tell you like what like what you feel inside whether it's real or not right and like you have to have a plan obviously and you have to work it through but like it is really hard. I think the one thing a lot of accountants find out is it's really hard to keep doing work if the only motivator is the money. Like you have to find something that you actually enjoy, otherwise you can't do this. No, I think that's I think that's like the central point uh, that you know people should take away from this conversation because, like you know, I tell the story of you know, that HR meeting and me finally making the decision to try writing. But it wasn't like, like, that was like five years in the making. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. was like five years and like switching between three, four jobs. And like, during that time, I actually forgot now, but like, I, my parents, I don't think knows that I worked at Sears because I never told them that I left EY. <laughs> um, 
that's a separate conversation. <laughs> Just because I knew they were not going to approve and they were going to worry about me. Um, so there's like a three-year period where they just thought I was still working at Ernst and Young, and I just had to pretend that I was still working there. But yeah, like it was five years in the making of me finally being able to get to the point, and I might not have made that decision if I wasn't laid off and if that decision wasn't made for me. And you know, the point that you said about how people always say like, "I don't want to screw over the people that I work with," like people just have to be more selfish. Like yeah. looking back, like tying yourself to like any job, and I feel like I still do this now too. Is like I don't want to tie myself to a specific company or specific people that I work for or work with, except for Will Lou because he'll enhance my career by fifteen <laughs> years. But and that's why I chose to freelance. Like I feel like a lot of that does come from my experience in the accounting field. Like I always have people asking me, you know, why. Aren't you working full time? Or like people always look at freelance as if like people only freelance because they can't get a full time job. And you know, outside of the one full time job that I had at the score, like I've been freelancing since I started writing in 2013, 2014. And that has been entirely my choice because for me, it's so important for me to have ownership of my time and the things that I do. And it's so important for me, I think, for my personality to not be always working with the same people because it will just bring back the memories and bad memories that I have of all these accounting jobs that I had in my twenties. Yeah. That's bang on it. Man, I, I don't even know what to say, man. Honestly, it's just incredibly inspirational to hear something. It gives me uh, optimism for the future. Yeah. Well, that's what I told you. Like um, you got to take your music uh, more seriously than you are. That yeah. was my advice to you. And I was serious about it. Yeah. Because writing was a hobby for me. Yeah. And until you treat, if you keep treating something like a hobby, it'll always just be a hobby. Yeah. But if you put your mind to it and put some stakes on it in terms of, you know, my music has to be good. Um, like until you treat it as something that you really want to do, I feel like, until you flick that switch on, like you're not going to be motivated to make whatever change that you want to do. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, I think it really does suck just how, and this goes to society in general, like how, how sucky it is that we have to do work, uh, basically to like survive, right? Like you have to, you have to make money to survive like a certain amount of money. So you have like, I'll talk to buddies and they're legitimately working. And like, I've, I'm personally in the same scenario where it's like, you're doing jobs and you're literally just doing it to get this paycheck to pay off for you. Where like, you have to really create like if, so when you get that opportunity to do that flip and put those stakes on it, like a lot of people aren't able to put stakes on it, which is unfortunate because like, you can't, you can't risk it. Um, and it really does suck that there's a lot of people working a lot of jobs that just hate their jobs. No, it does. And I mean, that's a larger point, like fuck capitalism and, you know, fuck this whole like structure of, you know, people just being conditioned. Like we were conditioned probably as early as like high school and university to go on these paths and like with everyone else, like it's just not accounting, like any kind of business degree um, or business job or a lot of other industries too. Like we're just conditioned to like graduate from school, come out, get this job, 
uh, start a family. Like there's just all these different expectations of how your life is supposed to go. And I feel like it does strip you of so much valuable time. Like I'm so glad that I'm doing well in this industry now, but like I'm 35 and I wish like I felt like that when I got into the industry, I was like 28, 29. Like I had so much catching up to do. Like I just imagine if I was able to figure it out and started doing this when I was like 23, um, it would be so different for me. And I, and I look back at my 20s and all those years that I spent working at those jobs. And I just it's just like filled with like regret that I wasted all of that time. Um, I still try to pick out the positives, uh, you know, in terms of like, Again, it just goes back to the money, like the money I was able to save. Um, you know, I was able to buy a property um, with my wife at the time and I was able to live very comfortably and, you know, it helped set me up to give me the cushion to pursue this career. But I don't know. I look back at it with such regret and, you know, I just I don't think I'm personally ever going to have kids. But like if I were to have kids, like I would tell them that you should just go and do whatever you want. And I wish more people were like that. And I mean, cultures are different, too. I mean. One of the last parts, you know, of my story was, you know, after I quit that job, you know, I decided to move to New York, you know, give this writing thing a go and really let the accounting career behind. And, you know, those were the hardest conversations to have. Like the conversation that I had with my dad telling him that, you know, he had supported, you know, paid for my education, uh, paid for my university, uh, basically supported me my whole life. And to tell him that I was walking away from this career to pursue something that was totally foreign to him. And, you know, totally not a nine to five, um, totally kind of unstable industry. Honestly, that conversation was as difficult as telling my parents that I was getting divorced. Can you like it's so like I wouldn't even know where to start to have that conversation because that's. It really is like if and, and especially like with our situation, like you've got parents who've like immigrated here and like they left like their entire lives behind. Right. To like specifically like their entire goal was we want to be at a, this place where our children have opportunity and can live better lives than us. And then you kind of just have to like about face and be like, Hey, like I, I'm, and like, because like our parents, like, I don't know you, but like one of the things my dad's always told me is like, you don't have to like, they, there's no, there's no, like you should enjoy your job portion of it. It's just like, no work is like a survival thing. Right. So you do it to survive and you work hard and you get it done. So like this, I like this, I like this need to enjoy your job or this need to have fulfillment from that, um, because we don't have the same dynamics where we get fulfillment out of just surviving or like just making a path um, the way that they did. It's a difficult conversation to have to say at any point, like I, I, I remember when I didn't get those big four jobs how fucking depressed I was that I'd have to tell my dad, like, yo, I didn't get hired at any of these places. And like, when I got, when I, like, I remember when I got rejected from Waterloo, I didn't even give a fuck about being rejected from Waterloo as much as I gave a fuck about having to walk downstairs and tell my dad I got rejected. from Exactly. Waterloo. Like you could have cared less about not getting into Waterloo or not getting accepted into a big four firm, but so much of what we do and especially work is just tied to satisfying your parents. And that's still the case for me today. And like, you know, when I told my dad that, um, and I'm leaving my mom a little bit out of it because I feel like my mom is, is, is a bit more understanding. Um, whereas my dad is definitely out of the two parents, uh, the one that is more concerned and more vocal about these things. Like, it wasn't like I was telling him that I had this writing job lined up or I had anything lined up. Like I was straight up just telling him I'm leaving my job 
and I'm going to try to do this. And I still remember how angry he, he was like leaving my condo and like we didn't talk for like a couple of months. And like even for a few years, he was, you know, I think eventually your parents, because our parents all come from a good place and, and he was just more worried, um, you know, about how I was going to do financially than, than being upset at me. But I honestly don't think it was until the last couple of years when I've been able to show him like more clips, like in the newspaper or like publishing a book and things like that, where he does feel a little bit more comfortable now. But that was a long process, too. And I feel like, yeah, we're constantly trying to just make our parents proud. Like whenever I write and whatever I do, like the only kind of feedback that really makes me really happy is if my parents are happy about it. A hundred percent. Like it really does just come down to, I'm like, man, like I got to do right by these people because like, and like, honestly, it's, it's, I, I don't even like, I know a lot of times like people rag on like, Oh, my parents expect this, this, this from me. It's unfair that they expect this much from me and go on. And I understand, like, I feel that as well. Like there's a lot of unfair expectations, especially culturally for both of us. Um, that usually comes from immigrant parents, but there's also just like, and I know that you've talked about it a lot is like, I have, so much gratitude towards my parents for doing what they did to get me into these positions because there is like like it is literally like the chance of me being in the position that I am right now and having all these opportunities versus not like it is like it's minuscule like I'm so lucky to even be in the position that I am and it's all because of their sacrifices so to be able to actually give back like I feel great being able to like meet their expectations and which is why I keep trying to, but like they're like, that's one of those things where it's like, there's this, there's this balance you have to play. It's like, how much of my life do I live for myself versus for other people? Yeah. And that balance is tough. Do you feel like as you've gotten older, as you've grown up that you appreciate your parents more? Because I feel like I went through this process, especially in my twenties and especially during my career change where I really did come to appreciate my parents a lot more than maybe I did when I was younger. Oh yeah. 100%. Like once I, like I, I, and it was actually on what something you had said before was you had talked about like um, your story um, and your parents' story from moving from uh, when they did when you were like 11. And I remember I sat down and I just asked my dad, I'm like, Hey, tell me about like when you made that decision to leave your family behind and like move to this new country, like how did that go? Like walk me through those last few days. Like when you're at the airport or saying bye to your mother or saying bye to like your family. Cause I'm like, after like, like after my dad left um, Pakistan to move here um, and do his studies and stuff like that, I, I'm not sure how many more times he saw his mother before, you know, she ended up, you know, ending up going blind and deaf and passing away. Like, I think he only saw her a handful of times after that. So like that's like really heavy and like to think about that person like imagine if like like for me to even like comprehend like to comprehend leaving everything behind and starting completely brand new is so foreign and so difficult to understand because we grew up with such a strong like base that our parents created for us like you understand that in your 20s like just how difficult like the world is and just how difficult like building things is and like yeah economically things might have been easier but like I talk to my parents. I'm like, man, how'd you make a budget work on like 600, like on like a, like student visa, like work visa, you're making like $600 a month. Like how the hell did we pay for stuff? And like, you're just like 
work things out and as an accountant like that's the first question is like how do you pay for something right like yeah, you're constantly thinking in dollars and cents and like i was trying to understand how the hell our family budget worked and i was so like just mind blown i'm like man like i'm thinking about me in my 20s uh and i want to do all these different things and me feeling kind of locked down because i'm supporting the people i'm supporting but then I think to my parents, I'm like, I'm like, my dad was like in his mid thirties when he started his family. Cause like he had to move and do all these things before. So his life started late and he was just constantly struggling through it. Like my parents struggled through all of it. And I'm like, their friends must've been doing cool things. Like they might not have even had contact with their family for a lot, lot, long part of it. And I know that we get caught in this like comparison culture. Like we're looking at IG and all of our buddies are like going out and like getting condos in Toronto, going on vacation every couple of weeks or whatever. And I'm like, man, like there's like you realize that your parents were people like you as well and had wants and desires. Like that's the one which kills you where you're like, oh, crap. Like these people really worked so hard and sacrificed so much for you. Um, and that's what and that's when it hits you right in your mid 20s. When you start living through that stuff, you're like, oh, crap. And I have a lot of gratitude for them for it. Yeah, no, they gave up so much for us. And I always say that like our, our lives are so easy. Like our lives are so easy, especially compared to what they had to go through. Like even all the stuff that we're talking about here, um, you know, about figuring out, you know, basically kind of figuring out your self-worth and, and, you know, things that you want to do with your life. Like these are the things that a lot of our parents don't even get to think about because so much of it was just about survival. And then so much of it when they bring us into their lives is about them, you know, just making everything about us. And, you know, that's why I think a part of why I think that conversation, you know, when I told my dad that I was leaving my accounting career was so difficult for me, because I reached a point where I did realize how much, you know, sacrifice, um, you know, he had made for me. Um, and that's why, you know, it still kind of pushes me today. You know, one of the things that he made me promise him was that I would still pay my ICAO fee every year. Uh- <laughs> I remember this man was like yelling at me. And at the end, he's like, yo, just make sure you pay your ICAO fees. And for people that don't know, this is like, I don't know, it's like a thousand dollars you pay a year to basically keep your license. Um, It's an annual membership that they charge you once you pass all your CPA exams. And, you know, I did keep my promise. um, But last year was the first year that I didn't pay my ICAO fees. And they have been sending me these emails ever since telling me I've been suspended. And, you know, for me, that was another symbolic kind of cutting of the ties with the accounting industry. And that was a really hard decision for me last year, actually. Like I went back and forth on it on a few days leading up to the deadline. And for me, it was just like there was always a fear of the writing not working out and, you know, having to go back to an accounting career. And honestly, that's driven me so much these past six or seven years. But when I didn't pay that fee, I felt like that was like my last thing of breaking ties with the accounting industry and it felt really good but i still get those uh what are those those cpa magazines every month yeah yeah you you get the you get the you get to see the commercials in between random raptor games where the uh the helicopter dropping off in a field to show somebody a spreadsheet Yo, I love when they try to make CPAs look cool. I'm like, you should really lean the other way and just lean into how mundane it is and just like get some humor out of it. Like you can't lie to people. 
bro the the best thing is i remember when i was in high school the way they sold the, the cpa career like the cpa guy comes right like literally this guy comes in and he's like i went to laurier and i became a cpa and now you know i'm going through and i'm giving out these lectures to high school students to tell you about the career and like the first person they put is like the guy from mlsc um <laughs> who's like i forget his name but he's just like he's a cpa look he works in sports <laughs> oh and, man and you're just like wow that's so cool that's what i want to do and then you realize it's like it's just accounting <laughs> across the board it's still accounting across the board like you'll make business decisions obviously like there's a lot of cool things to it there's a lot of things to it uh, <laughs> but man it is there's a lot of work to, to market it as being a hip thing which i'm like honestly like it, it it's a, it's a fine career it's just uh we don't need to you know over 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 speak on what it is no so did you because for me i think i just chose that career because i didn't really know what i wanted to do um when i was finishing up high school and it was just like all right i'm just gonna go for this bba and you know get into accounting and figure it out because it feels like this is the easiest way to lock down a job uh when i finish university uh did you have other motivations of you know becoming a cpa uh well yeah the one thing was what you just said like it is definitely like it is a career like if you want to do it it's a career path that's completely laid out for you like you know from step day one what the next 20 year path looks like <laughs> like going into college like you're like oh i gotta do this this is this is this, this and like you don't have to ever think about a career path if you just want to keep following it uh for me it was entirely like when i was growing up like uh like through most of my teen years like my dad's job was kind of like in limbo like he'd work two three years maybe it off for like a year or two so we were never financially stable growing up really so like for me i was like i just want the most financially stable job where i don't have to worry about unemployment ever uh, and it was something that it was like i was good at accounting like it's simple there's a lot of problem solving elements to it which i enjoy but my main motivation was i want a job that's like stable financially and i don't have to worry about unemployment um so that's it. It's very boring decision-making, but entirely risk-averse and entirely just, that was my main motivation for this job. Um, so yeah, now, that's the same. and that's the same for, for both of us. And yeah. I feel like it's the same for a lot of people. And, you know, having hindsight now, like looking back, like I feel like that's, that's a terrible way to figure out what you want to do. <laughs> it's, it's actually the worst thing you could do is to I, take the I, most risk adverse thing and just be like i'm gonna have the next 20 years laid out for me and there goes half of my life yeah i'm 18 years old here's what i want to do till i'm 65 yeah the whole system is broken and me and yeah. you are not going to fix this so that that was it that that's that's the last time i'm talking in depth <laughs> about my accounting career i feel like it's time for me to just move on from that backstory i appreciate you coming on and you know listening to me and chatting with me about our accounting careers and i wish you the best of luck man i hope i hope you're like the next great hip-hop producer rapper in five years and you will shout out this podcast when it happens of course uh hold on let me just check your linkedin profile to make sure i hit all the things i was supposed to ask about uh... <laughs> also if you find me on linkedin there's like this really like not professional photo of me it's just like me on the subway and i remember a coworker messaged me once when I was still in accounting and was like, you should totally change this photo because it is so unprofessional. 
And that's when it became personal for me. That's yeah. really when it became personal for me because I know because I still remember that story. I don't think you have to worry too much about people finding it. I just searched up Alex Wong and you are not on this list. <laughs> people still find me though. I still, there's I had like six, a... There's 6,000 results for Alex Wong. Listen, we know Alex Wong is a very common name, right? We don't need to get into this. Um, there's, yeah, no, there's still headhunters that are like, hey, do you want to work for this oil company? Um, I, I need to... Uh, I need to change. Oh, at one point I wanted to get into into headhunting and be a recruiter. That was like another thing that I was thinking about doing in my 20s because I was like, this shit's a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> so I think an alternate career path for you is being a recruiter. Listen, Asad, I really appreciate this. Thank you, my man. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and we'll talk soon.